Have you ever written a song? Did you sign up with a performing rights organization or PRO, like ASCAP or BMI? If so, you're going to want to hold on to your hat. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Today, we're talking about a statement recently released by the Department of Justice that will have a huge impact on songwriters in the US and worldwide. There's still a year before this statement goes into effect. Will you be prepared when it does? We talked to several experts today who explain the statement and suggest options for how to deal with the fallout. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your own business. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to David Israelite, president and CEO of the NMPA, the National Music Publishers Association. David, welcome back to the future of what? Thank you so much. I'm always so glad to have you on because you do a great job of clearly explaining these very complicated issues that we keep having to talk about for some reason. And this one's a doozy. This is uh, this is quite a quite a big one. So the Department of Justice recently handed down a decision that has implications for publishers and also for the PROs. And we were hoping that you could help us today by unpacking a little bit of what this decree means for publishers in particular. I will do my best. (laughs) So you have to start by understanding what this subject matter is about. And for people who aren't in the music industry, you really have no reason to think about music this way. But if you're in the business of writing songs, like a songwriter, when you write a song, you create a copyright. And there are many different ways that you then make money through that copyright. One of the ways, in fact, the most important way is known as a public performance. It basically means when your song is transmitted to the public in a public way. So the thing that's the most obvious that comes to mind would be radio, AM, FM radio. But it also involves things like a television signal or a bar or restaurant that plays music. All of these things are types of public performances. And as a creator of that copyright, as a songwriter, that copyright is not regulated by law. It is a free market right where you have a right to negotiate the value of it And the person that wants to use it has to license it from you and pay for it. But over time, there evolved a method for licensing these songs. And mostly it's done through two organizations. One is called ASCAP and the other is called BMI. And what ASCAP and BMI do is they're companies and they're in the business of representing songwriters and music publishers. And they, between the two of them, have probably over 90% of the market. They have two competitors. One's called CSAC, the other's called GMR. And those two competitors are in a different place as we'll get to in just a minute. But if you're ASCAP and BMI, you're in the business of licensing hundreds of thousands of songs and then collecting the money for those songs and distributing the money to the right songwriters and music publishers. And you have to go back to 1941 where this story starts. Because in 1941, the government thought that ASCAP and BMI had gotten too large, that they had too much market concentration. 
and that under the antitrust laws, they had to be regulated because they were too big. And so in 1941, ASCAP and BMI both signed what are known as consent decrees with the Justice Department. What a consent decree does is basically say, we're going to allow you to keep operating with your market size, but you're going to agree to do it under certain rules. And what ASCAP and BMI basically agreed to is that while signing these consent decrees, the way that they would operate in the future was that if anyone wanted to use the music that they represented, all they had to do was ask. And then if they couldn't agree on a price, they would go to a federal judge in the Southern District of New York, and that judge, after holding a trial, would set the price. So in reality, since 1941, ASCAP and BMI have not been in a free market. They've been operating effectively with a compulsory license. They can't say no if someone wants to use the music they represent. And if they don't agree on a price, the resolution is not to walk away. The resolution is the person still gets to use their music. The price just gets set by a federal judge. Now, their competitors, CSAC and GMR, much smaller, they don't live under a consent decree, which means if you want to use the music with those two PROs, you have to go and negotiate a price. And if you can't, then you can't use that music. So that kind of sets the table for what's going on with this issue is you've got two large PROs, ASCAP and BMI regulated, and two smaller ones that are not. And if you're a songwriter, you choose one of these four PROs to represent you. And there are lots of different reasons you might choose one or another. It might be a relationship that you have. It might be that you believe in the way they do business or certain things about how they purport to represent you, but you choose one and you're affiliated with that PRO. What the Justice Department has basically said is that if ASCAP and BMI represent a portion of a song, then they are going to be required under these consent decrees to license the entire song even if the other songwriters involved aren't members of ASCAP and BMI. What people may understand or may not is that songwriting is often an exercise done in groups. It's very rare that someone sits down and writes the words and the music alone and therefore owns 100% of a song. It is a very collaborative process. And the most common way that songs are written is they're done in collaboration with other songwriters. And so Let's say that you have two songwriters that sit down together to write a song. Maybe one of them writes the melody and the other one writes the lyrics, or maybe they both work on both. It doesn't really matter. They end up splitting that copyright. There's 100% ownership. Maybe they walk out of the room having written a song. One owns 50%, the other owns 50%. Well, if one of those songwriters is an ASCAP songwriter, and if the other one is, say, a CSAC songwriter, the way that the world has always worked is that if a licensee, like, say, a radio station, wants to use that song, they would go to ASCAP for the piece that ASCAP represents, and they would go to CSAC for the piece that CSAC represents. But under this new ruling, all they would have to do is go to ASCAP, because ASCAP would be required to give the person who wants to use the song the authority to use all of the song, and the person using it might only have to pay just ASCAP, which means if you're that songwriter that co-wrote the song and belonged to CSAC, 
your rights have just been taken away by the U.S. government. Now, this is a really complicated subject, and I've done my best to just kind of boil it down to the very high-level issue involved and give you a simple example. But basically what we're talking about is the government has decided that in its regulation of these two private companies, ASCAP and BMI, they were going to impose a rule that extends so far beyond any reasonable limitation of trying to regulate a monopoly that what they have effectively done is through the power of antitrust career lawyers in the Justice Department tried to regulate an entire industry where the law doesn't regulate that industry. And the property rights of the people who write the songs have just been implicated by this action by the Justice Department's antitrust division. That's in very basic terms what we're talking about. Yes. And that was an excellent job. Thank you. I'm sure that everyone had no trouble following that because it was very clear. What I think of immediately is I think back to the days when I was a songwriter and I was in a band and there were three of us in a band and we all actually happened to belong to different PROs just because that's how it had happened over time, you know, and and that's what, that is the truth. That's the reality of people's lives. You know, you start out, you sign up with a a PRO and then maybe 20 years later, you're still in the business. You're not going to have changed your affiliation. So, you know, you may end up in this situation where you have lots of songwriters with different PRO affiliations. So what they're basically saying is, let's say now my guitar player and I, we don't speak anymore. We're not friends anymore. She, if she's a member of ASCAP and I'm not, has now got the right to license any of our music anywhere that she wants to without ever getting consent from me. Is that correct? Yes, and it's even worse because if she's a member of ASCAP or BMI, because of those consent decrees, there's no choice involved. They can't say no, which means that if one of the songwriters happens to belong to an ASCAP or BMI, then anyone that wants to use the song automatically gets the rights to the entire song whether any of the writers wanted that to happen or not. Maybe a good analogy would be this. Imagine a workplace situation where you're part of a team and maybe three of you are working on a project together and you all have your own bank accounts, different banks, and your employer deposits your paycheck, direct deposit into your own bank. What if all of a sudden your employer said, you know what, I'm only going to pay one of the employees for all of the work I'm going to deposit all of the money in that employee's bank account, and it'll just have to work out how the other two employees get their paycheck. Right. That's kind of what's going on. Right. Right. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's another part to this ruling, correct? There is the no partial withdrawal part of this little decision. Can you explain that to us? Sure. So back in 1941, The reason why ASCAP and BMI were put under consent decrees is because at the time, the government believed there was too much market concentration in these two companies when they were negotiating the rights against what was a brand new industry in the United States, the broadcast industry. (laughs) If you can think back (laughs) that far, the fledgling broadcast industry needed protection against songwriters and music publishers who were together in these two companies. Irony. (laughs) Those consent decrees have never gone away. They never expire. And so you fast forward to today, and the result of the consent decrees is that there are giant companies like Google, like Apple, like Amazon, who are getting protection against songwriters. And so very reasonably, the people who own these songs said, 
well, maybe we don't need to license a giant company like a Google or a YouTube through this old system of ASCAP and BMI. Maybe it would be easiest if we just licensed the songs that we have directly to Google. And we did so outside of a consent decree, which means we could negotiate for the value of our songs in a free market. And if we didn't like the price they were offering, we could say no. But maybe those same songs, we are very happy to let ASCAP and BMI continue to represent for things like every bar and restaurant in the entire country. Because maybe it's not feasible that as a company, you would go around and get a license from every single public venue in the country. It makes more sense to collect together, maybe in a monopoly, and have that process regulated by the government. And so what many music publishers wanted to do is withdraw their catalogs from ASCAP and BMI for limited purposes, mainly for the new giant digital music companies, because they felt that the consent decree process was devaluing their songs, that instead of getting to negotiate the value in a free market like any other property owner would get to do, they were being told by a single federal judge how much it was worth, and the value was significantly under what they thought was fair. And so one of the things that we asked the Justice Department to do was to bless the idea that you could leave the monopoly and go out into the free market for some purposes, but stay in the monopoly for others. And we thought that that made perfect sense and actually was supportive of the principle of why you have consent decrees. If you think that ASCAP and BMI are too large, then you should want to encourage things that would make them less powerful or smaller. But inexplicably, the government has said, we're not going to allow that. That if you want to use ASCAP and BMI for bars and restaurants, then you will be forced to use ASCAP and BMI for things like negotiating with Google. And because most publishers simply cannot license public venues on their own, they are forced to stay in a system where Google gets the protection of the antitrust laws against a bunch of songwriters. It really is ridiculous. Yeah, and it's funny. Google's name keeps coming up. I wonder what the connection is, you know, because I was just <laughs> talking about <laughs> the YouTube situation with Safe Harbor. It's, they keep getting all these government protections. Interesting. Well, they do. And one of the things I should mention is that the attorney who made this decision used to represent Google. There's a shock. And so there's been quite a bit of concern <laughs> in the songwriting community that you have an unelected person who is an acting head of the antitrust division, not confirmed, who used to represent Google directly that is making this decision. And that's why we think that this decision needs some scrutiny, mostly because of the merits of it. But there's also the taint of the decision maker being someone who used to work for Google. And this is a decision that obviously very much helps Google. So ultimately, though, the Department of Justice doesn't have the final say, right? There is a federal judge that has the final say in whether or not this happens. Isn't that correct? Yes. So a, a consent decree is a contract between two parties, the government and in this case, ASCAP and BMI. And the judge that oversees the consent decree does get to have a say. And so What's really interesting is that the Justice Department has said not that they're changing the consent decree to require this, what we call the 100% licensing rule. They're actually trying to argue that this is what's been required all along, but they've admitted that no one does it. And so the Justice Department has said, we're going to give everybody a year to try to adjust their behavior to try to figure this out. What BMI, one of the two parties that's regulated, has said is that we disagree 
with your interpretation of this consent decree. And they've asked their federal judge in the Southern District of New York, a judge named Judge Stanton, to review this question of what does the current consent decree say? And so we are hopeful that the judge that oversees this is going to agree with BMI that this is not what is required by the existing consent decree. Is there a time frame for that? You know, there's not an exact time frame. BMI, uh, the, the same day that the Justice Department announced its new interpretation, BMI announced that it would fight this in court. There's another part of this that, that I think is really important to mention, because obviously I'm an advocate for songwriters and music publishers, and I think everyone would expect that my point of view is influenced by trying to protect and do what's best for songwriters and music publishers. But on this issue of what the Justice Department just did, the Register of Copyright, which is the government's highest ranking official that has expertise in copyright matters, weighed in on this question. Now, the Register is a nonpartisan, non-biased expert in copyright law. And what the Register of Copyright wrote to Congress on this exact question is that what the Justice Department is trying to do right now not only is a bad idea, not only does it violate copyright law, but that actually it could violate the Constitution. Hmm. And the Justice Department career attorneys in the antitrust division simply ignored the expert advice of the Register of Copyright, which is shocking. Yes, absolutely. Although, <laughs> with Google on the other side, I'm somewhat less shocked. I don't know. <laughs> How that could be. Well, I, I think it points again to an agenda. Yes. Because obviously the person who has the most expertise has gone public and said, you can't do this. Right. And yet the antitrust division is insisting on marching forward in the face of the government's foremost expert on copyright law telling them that what they're doing breaks the law. So the upshot, if this does stand... We have these two pieces of this decision. The one is the 100% licensing. And and I think everyone who has understood what you've been talking about can understand that that's going to that's gonna cause total chaos because it's asking everyone to completely do business in a different way than they've ever done before. And it's going to wreak havoc on songwriters, especially people who have, you know, are not lucky enough to own 100% of every song that they've ever written, but they own percentages, you know. The second decision, the no partial withdrawal decision, is really interesting because part of it is that there's this all-in or all-out model. The all-in model would be that the publisher licenses, you know, their music to the PRO, and then the PRO, as you said, is responsible for licensing to every service. But there's another option, which is that the publisher says, forget it, and bypasses the PRO, and then does all the licenses directly, which is onerous and a huge task. But, you know, they're putting it out there as an option. How do you feel about that representing publishers? Well, I mean, I think that ASCAP and BMI provide a tremendous service, not just to the songwriters and music publishers that they represent, but to the licensees. It's made the, the job of a licensee to get the rights so much easier to only have to go to a few places and get everything they need to play any song in the universe. And one of the really unfortunate effects of this decision could be driving publishers to get all out. And if that happens, that's bad, not just for ASCAP and BMI, not just for the songwriters and publishers that now are more scattered, but mostly bad for the licensees. And so I think it would be a really unfortunate outcome if you were only given the choice of all in or all out, and then some publishers chose to be all out, which by the way, 
they might be forced to do just to be good economic stewards of the copyrights that they represent. If the value of the copyrights is so harmed by these consent decrees, then it becomes a very hard thing to stay in that old system. And so that's why ASCAP, BMI, the writers, the publishers, we're all on the same page with regard to this. We've asked for partial withdrawals as a way to save the system of the collective licensing and to allow ASCAP and BMI to continue to be such an important part of the musical ecosystem that they've been, not just for their clients, but also for the licensee community. You know, I don't think anyone thinks it's a good idea to have more scattered licensing, but I think everyone agrees that the most important part of this is the value of the songs, not the ease with which we license them. Licensing is a secondary concern. Protecting the value of the creation is really a primary concern, and that's what's so important about this issue, is that a marketplace will price the songs appropriately. We'll accept whatever the market bears in terms of the value of the songs. But when you have this artificial system with a judge setting the price, it really has devalued the songs in a way that's been so harmful to the creative community, to songwriters, and to music publishers. You know, when we met with the Justice Department, I was with a great songwriter named Lee Thomas Miller, who also happens to be the chairman of the board of the Nashville Songwriters Association. And he told the Justice Department that if this rule goes into effect, he won't be able to write with other writers that don't belong to his same PRO because creators won't want to risk their money getting sucked up into a different institution where they might not see it. And just the effect on the creative process of telling songwriters that they somehow have to stay within their own tribe and not be able to collaborate and work with other creative people is just an unforgivable sin by the Justice Department. Absolutely. I love the idea, though, of people walking around with little signs on their lapels, ASCAP, BMI. (laughs) Hi, I can. Oh, nope, can't work with you. Sorry. (laughs) Using my old analogy, it would be like telling people in a workplace that you must wear a badge of which bank you use, and you can only then collaborate within your company of people that belong to the same bank. Right. That's how ridiculous this is. Well, David, you've done a great job, as usual, explaining it for us. I thank you very much for being with us again on The Future of What? I sure appreciate it, Portia. was Mega Man 2 Flashman by The Advantage. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What, 
We're talking to attorney Chris Castle. Chris, welcome back to The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. So here we are again in this situation yes. where we have <laughs> crazy stuff. That last scene, yes. Yes, <laughs> right. coming down. So I asked you back to the show today because we are talking about the ruling that came down from the Department of Justice about the PRO consent decrees. And in particular, I wanted you to address something that I thought you handled really well in an article you wrote for the Huffington Post about the punitive surprise costs of doing business that this new ruling has created. Right. Well, so first off, it's a, let's say what it actually is, it's a statement by the Department of Justice, which is unsigned, no one claimed authorship of it, a sort of common problem these days, hmm. which interprets the consent decrees. And if you were to ask them, they would say, we haven't changed anything in the consent decrees. We're merely stating what we think it already says and has always said. And that's funny because nobody else in the world, <laughs> I believe, <laughs> would agree with that, who knows anything about the music business at all, including everyone who has ever gotten a license from a PRO, right? Right. And the thing which is the biggest problem is what they call whole work licensing and sometimes call 100% licensing. And it basically evolves from a theory of real estate law, which is not really recognized very broadly outside of the United States as applying to copyright law, which says that if you and another person own an undivided interest in property, then each of you has the right, has the right, and that's important, may, not shall, but may decide to issue a non-exclusive license in the whole of the property, provided you don't have an agreement to the contrary saying that you won't issue such licenses and provided that the terms of that license are not what's called economic waste, which is sort of relevant for our discussion here. So let's just say that that rule actually does apply to songs uh, subject to the PROs. If a tenant in common, which is what that's called in the law, tenancy in common, if one of the tenants decided to issue that license, so one of the songwriters issued, decided to issue that license, they would negotiate a rate for that license. And that rate would take into account a number of things, aside from just the value of the license itself or the work being licensed. It would take into account the administrative costs associated with that license because the primary obligation that the tenant issuing the license would have to the other tenants is to account to them. So you can issue those licenses, but you bear the, the responsibility of accounting to your co-owners of a song, co-writers of the song for their share of whatever proceeds you get. So even if you were to accept the idea that the Justice Department is right about this and that such, such a, a theory exists and, and applies specifically to PRO licensing, the rates that are charged should have taken into account the costs of rendering that accounting, which, by the way, falls on the songwriter, not the PRO necessarily, right? Because it's right. an obligation of the co-owner. Right. PROs don't own anything. The people who have the obligation are the songwriters. And you will remember, no doubt, that there is an indemnity clause in the writer affiliation agreement that says that if for some reason you don't have the rights you say you have, you indemnify the PRO for many claims. So in this situation, 
if the antitrust department division is right, then those songwriters who are co-writing in this situation would have an obligation to account to their co-writers if they should fail to do so. And those co-writers make a claim against a PRO for that money, then the songwriter would have the obligation to make the co-writer whole. So that's just a way of introducing the more Kafka-esque elements of, of this whole thing, because uh, it makes absolutely no sense. If, if people who are listening didn't understand a word of what I just said, <laughs> trust me, it actually does make sense from a legal point of view, but it doesn't make any sense at all. You know? Right. Right. And this is where the surprise costs come in, right? Because what the what the Justice Department is saying is that if you write a song, let's say, let's take the simple case, we have two writers, one's ASCAP, one's BMI, and you co-write a song together and you own it 50-50, then Clear Channel, or iHeart, <laughs> as they call themselves now, could go to ASCAP for a license for your song. ASCAP would issue is required, according to the Justice Department, to issue a license for 100% of the song. And then they would collect a royalty for your song, and then they would have to pay it out to your BMI co-writer, who they have absolutely no relationship with. Right. And and right off the top of my head, as a person who does business in the music industry all the time, there's nothing harder than finding contact information for people who, you know, were, like, let's say in a band for a year. I mean, that's right. Leaving members. Yeah, leaving. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Like the bureaucratic nightmare. I mean, people have to try to understand this. It's like I have enough trouble finding people who used to be on Kill Rock Stars because they're one fourth of a band that gave us one song for a compilation in 1993. You right, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I try exactly. to track these people down because <laughs> I'm trying to pay royalties like a good person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when right. they don't update their email and they don't update their address, it's really, it really becomes quite difficult. And that is like the burden that that places on people, on the songwriters, not even the PROs, right? Because it's not the PRO's obligation to track those people down. Right. Or is it? As a practical matter, I think it's going to be the, the PRO's obligation to track those people down, which raises the next point, the next surprise cost, right? Because what they'll probably do, they'll know for a lot of these songs who the co-writers are. Why would they know that? They would know that because when the writers registered the songs, they told their PRO who their co-writers were. Mm. And they probably told which PRO their co-writer was affiliated with, right? So this is another reason why the Justice Department deal falls apart, just to digress for one second, is that not only did the deal that the, each writer make with their PRO apply only to their their share of the songs, they told their PRO which share of the song was theirs, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so let's say they can at least know that it's BMI, you know, who is the other writer's PRO. ASCAP would, in that situation, might, and I don't think anybody really knows, but let's just say this is one possibility. They might just pay all the money for all the BMI co-writes to BMI and let BMI figure it out, including whether that writer has left BMI. Right. Because ASCAP would say, okay, based on what's in our database, the last time we looked, which may have been yesterday or may have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, this co-writer was a BMI writer. So let's just pay it all to BMI. So then BMI gets it, and BMI has to then track the person down. Who, and even though that was their writer at one point, they may still have some of the same problems that you identified. And guess what they'll also do? They will then commission it. So you'll have ASCAP's commission coming off the top, which is fair, right, of, of the 100%. 
and including the share that they don't actually represent, they'll then pay the 50% share over to BMI, who will then take net of ASCAP's cut. Mm, yeah. Right? I see where and this is they'll going. Pay it, they'll, pay, <laughs> they'll pay it out to their writer, right? Mm-hmm. Who will then probably turn around and say, no, wait a minute. When we registered that song, we said that it was only 50% BMI, and no one's going to really understand why this is happening to them. Right. Which leads us back to Kafka, right? Right. <laughs> this, is, this is the trial all over again. Right. 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 So that's just some of the costs. That, that will just appear. Right? right. Where where they never were before. Let's be real clear never about were. that. This Department mm-hmm. of never Justice, were. whatever you call it, ruling, statement, statement, right? Just statement. Statement right. has created these costs out of whole cloth. And it was That's right. supposedly this statement was designed to fix the problems of the PROs right. that have existed since the consent decree was created in 1941. That's right. So we have a system that was broken that people wanted to fix. And instead of fixing it, we now have a statement that is creating new problems. That's right. That's my understanding. That's exactly right. It's creating a lot of new problems. And when the, you know, the Justice Department lawyers were having calls with the songwriters as a group, right? A group of songwriters and songwriter organizations, separate and apart from the publishers, ASCAP, BMI, NMPA, and so on, right? So they had, they had, calls with these people. And they started out describing this to them and the songwriters flipped out, right? Because they said, this is not the way the world works. What are we supposed to do? And the Department of Justice lawyer in charge of that section apparently said to them, according to the songwriter, I was told was on the phone and asked the question, well, maybe you should leave ASCAP. Oh my God. That's your option. That's your option. So not only are they breaking it more than it was broken before, they're actually trying to encourage songwriters to actually leave the PROs, which, by the way, are probably in the digital licensing world, the one thing that actually works pretty well from both a songwriter and a music user point of view. Right. The way that the PROs work and the thing that they do well is having a PRO as a songwriter means that you as a person do not have to call every single radio station in America every single bar that might have a song of yours on their jukebox, every single, you know, grocery store that might play your music. This is what the PROs do. They have connections with all of these places. They find every little piece of your money and they consolidate it in one place. And that is, as you said, one of the few aspects of the music business that's actually been working pretty well. Working very well. Yeah. And, you know, even even with the fact that you have to go to rate court and, you know, we can argue about whether... Pandora is being disingenuous, you know, in in whatever quote unquote negotiation they have because they really just want to get to rate court. You know, there there's lots of different arguments you can make, but at the end of the day, when the dust settles, there's a blanket license that's available that allows these services to do business and play music and generate revenue. It may take a little while to actually get the money, but it does eventually come in, and they've got a blanket license and a process for determining what their rates are. So everybody's covered, including the foreign writers. And that's another hidden cost in this, right? Because if you're a foreign writer and you have a membership with, let's say, PRS or SOCAN or SOSM or one of the foreign societies as a writer, then that society will say when you sign up, as I understand it, and I may be putting a bit of a gloss on this, but I think it's it's pretty accurate, that society will say, in the United States, who do you want to have collect your royalties, ASCAP or BMI? 
and the, that foreign writer will say one or the other. What that writer's PRO was not anticipating is that if their writer co-wrote a song with an ASCAP or BMI writer, that the choice of which society would do the collecting would be ignored based on a theory of law in tenancy in common applied to copyright, which is not the law in the country of origin of that writer. Like the UK, for example, let's take the easy case of Anglo-American repertoire, right? UK doesn't recognize this theory. If you, if you have a license, any license in the UK, whether it's sync or performance or whatever, all the writers have to sign off on whatever the license is. There's none of this issue of non-exclusive license in the whole, subject to a duty to account and no economic waste. There's none of that. So, you know, they're sitting there scratching their heads saying, well, gee, I, we're not getting reciprocal treatment here. Maybe we're going to stop collecting <laughs> in the UK for, oh, these, for these foreign writers. And, it, and we'll get into a trick bag of non-reciprocal treatment like we have on the sound recording side. Mm, the terrestrial right? radio side, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and terrestrial radio, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways this can go. And by the way, there's a real question in my mind of whether this ruling is inconsistent with international copyright treaties and international trade treaties, Berne Convention and TRIPS, most prominently for those reading along at home, you know. <laughs> and, you know, we, we ended up in a, in a World Trade Organization arbitration over the Fairness and Music Licensing Act a number of years ago, which we lost, right, against Ireland. It requires a country, you know, to bring the arbitration. Songwriters can't do it. But, you know, if you have a country like Ireland or France or a country where they actually value their songwriters, you know, somebody might decide to take this to the WTO. And what, what happened with the Fairness and Music Licensing Act is that some restaurants got um, carve out to where they didn't have to pay performance royalties. The, the Irish society complained to the Irish government. The Irish government took the United States to an arbitration at the WTO. The United States lost and American taxpayers are paying Irish songwriters for performances in, in restaurants where American songwriters don't get paid. Wow, take that. So this is yeah, check it out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this is this is the, the wide and wonderful world of international. And when you start getting into these things where you start denying people things that they're used to having and that their law says they should have, and which international treaties may very well say, I mean, you know, we'll see, but you know, may very well say they should have as well. You know, some people don't take that lying down. Right. You know, some people don't, and they fight back. And and next thing you know, you know, old Jed's a millionaire. You know, it's like you've, you've got a, a big check that the taxpayer is writing that nobody seems to want to talk about. But that could very well be as a result of this. Although we should say that the statement by the Department of Justice does not yet have the force of law, right? It has to go to the BMI and ASCAP rate court judges and be approved. And BMI has, has already filed an action or, or has informed their rate court judge they intend to file an action, I guess, as of this time would be more accurate, objecting to this uh, interpretation. So we'll see. But the Justice Department has said that they are going to forbear from enforcing this interpretation for one year, which means we're all kind of up in the air for one year, and then they are going to start enforcing it. Essentially, what they expect to have happen is they expect that every songwriter of every song 
that's represented by ASCAP and BMI, which is probably millions of songs and hundreds of over a million songwriters, will either modify their split agreements to reflect this interpretation of the Justice Department's, or they will inform their PRO that they have an agreement to the contrary that would prevent this interpretation from obtaining. So, you know, right there, there's another cost. That's a cost that's visited upon songwriters directly. So, you know, there's a lot of balls in the air on this, and some of them may be resolved in rate court, some of them may not. Well, and on that note, I guess we'll just have to leave it until the next crisis comes up, right. and then I'll call you again <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to explain it to All us. All right. Chris Kessel, thank you so much for being with us today on The Future of What? Great. Thank you, Portia. Take care. The Devil Isn't Red by Hella. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to songwriter, musician, and blogger David Lowry. David, welcome back to The Future of What? Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. So today we are talking about yet another crazy thing that's happened in the music business, which is this Department of Justice statement about the consent decrees regarding the PROs. Can you tell us how this is going to affect you? I mean, I guess there's always the possibility over the next year that something will change. Like, for example, we're going to get a new administration of some variety. Mm -hmm. We may have a new Department of Justice head. Who knows? Right. It's possible that this statement will just get swept away or, or ignored and things will change. But if nothing changes, if this if this becomes binding in a year's time, mm-hmm. what are the implications for you as a songwriter? Like, what are you going to actually have to do? Well, you know, for me, you know, public performance, it's probably 10 of my songs that generate 99.9% of my public performance revenue. I'll make sure that my own cost you know, that, that those songs 
will remain in BMI, you know, so I can keep collecting those revenues, or maybe I'll change to SOCAN, you know, but you can also change to other societies. You can actually join the Canadian society at pretty sure. I was going to say, it's like moving to Canada if Donald Trump is elected. I'm moving to SOCAN. That is exactly <laughs> my joke I was leading to. Damn it. No, that's really good. Sorry. Uh, but I believe, no, no, it's perfect, but I believe you, I'm not 100% sure about this, but what it looks like is that I could become, instead of BMI, I could become a SOCAN publisher, SOCAN writer. I was thinking about maybe doing that just to ensure that at least so there's a couple things I could do is I could change PROs mm-hmm. to ensure I don't have to do sort of go back and check all these co-writing agreements and make sure that I'm not violating any rules here anymore and that my songs aren't, you know, suddenly, you know, not going to be collecting public performance royalties. Or I could just go back through and stay with BMI and just take my 10 or so songs that generate most of the revenue and just make sure that those are buttoned up and that we have clear agreements between the co-writers or, you know, if there, if there are any co-writers that belong to different PROs and just the other, you know, 415 songs, just, (laughs) just don't worry about it. You know, I mean, like, I don't know, will they fall out of BMI? Will they be part of the songs that are unlicensed? Some of them will, I imagine. I mean, so those are, those are two choices to change to a different PRO or just sort of guarantee and give assurances on your most popular tracks. It feels to me like there's also this other thing that could happen that could have an impact on whether people do one of those two things. And that is that I, I feel like the administrative costs for the PROs are going to skyrocket if this goes into effect because all of a sudden ASCAP is going to have to, for example, ASCAP is going to have to do a whole other set of things that they currently are not doing and are not equipped to do. And the same with BMI. And as a result, I would imagine that that's going to mean less money overall for all songwriters who are members of ASCAP and BMI because there's going to be more administrative fees. Right. And, And the DOJ actually acknowledges that. Okay. They actually say something. It's a little confusing, but buried in there, he said, if somebody wants to do full work licensing through a single PRO, through a single songwriters organizations, we don't think that most people will do this because they'll tack on all of these extra administrative costs. So the idea, what the DOJ sees is that those administrative costs, extra administrative costs, which they are admitting are there, that somehow ASCAP will charge that to the services. Okay. I don't understand how they're going to do that because a lot of times ASCAP and BMI are under these four, five, six, eight year licenses already. How do they just go to, you know, iHeartMedia, Clear Channel, Pandora? How do they just go to them and say, we're going to charge you more on these songs? If you, I, I, I just really don't understand how that's going to work. So I think you're correct. Those administrative costs are going to come out of the songwriter share. Our revenue is going to go down. The only justification for, for these consent decrees to do this kind of collective licensing is to create efficiency where, you know, so, so my, my, for instance, my wife with her venue, she doesn't have to license from every single 
songwriter or keep track of the repertoire that's being played, right? This is creating less efficiency. This is creating more uncertainty. I mean, there's so many consequences to this. But you're right. Most of this burden is going to be borne by the songwriters of ASCAP and BMI and not so much the services or... You know, even the big publishers, the big publishers might find it's just better to pull out. Well, right. I mean, that's a whole other piece that we haven't talked at all about is this other thing, which is this 100 percent, you know, the one part is the 100 percent licensing. But then the other part for publishers is 100 percent of licenses. So so not being able to, you know, right now a PRO can handle your catalog for, you know, all sorts of things, restaurants and bars, blah, 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 blah. But you still have the right to, you know, make a direct deal with Spotify, let's say, for portions of your catalog or your publisher can. Right. Well, what this what this statement from the DOJ is saying is that it's all or nothing. Right. That you must allow that the publishers must allow the PROs to license to every existing service or none at all. Right. And I actually asked David Israelite about that, the president of the NMPA, because I was like, what is the likelihood, David, that you guys are just going to all get out of the PROs because you want to preserve your ability to do direct licensing. And he was, you know, he was skeptical. He doesn't think that that's necessarily going to happen, but it's certainly something that is in this statement, which is really shocking to me that that would be an option. Well, yes. And, and I think it depends on what the cost is for this, the inefficiency, what are the administrative costs? you know, of this, of managing this new inefficiency that they've created at some point. I mean, for, so, so the big publishers, they, they could license directly if, well, we'll say if essentially those new administrative costs eat away at the revenue that the big publishers are getting from ASCAP and BMI, it might be cheaper for them. Yes. To pull out licensed directly and just when they're sending mechanical royalties to their writers, send the PRO and they send the performance royalties as well. Right. Yeah. And one, another thing I worry about this is that I think you're going to, you're going to really have two tiers of publishers after this. You're going to have large publishers that can afford to deal with this new world and little publishers that can't afford to deal with this new world. So they'll be either stuck with a much more expensive ASCAP or BMI to collect their royalties, or they'll be unable to do it themselves and they'll just have to sell their catalogs to one of the big threes. Mm. So I think the, the other thing is that if you really think through the consequences of this, I think this leads to market consolidation on the publisher side, more market consolidation. Remember that like, on the recorded music side, it's always been more consolidated than it's been on the song side, on the mm. publisher side. Yeah. But I think you get something similar to what we have on the recorded music side now with publishers, because I, I don't see how large independents even sort of go it alone in this world without like sort of at least doing an administrative deal with essentially like a liege lord, you know, <laughs> like throwing their lot in with a Sony or a, you know, UMG or, or right. Warner Music Group to directly license these things. And then the other thing I worry is that 
having a balkanized licensing system, I think it's going to be really, really hard to be a streaming webcasting or digital music competitor to the already existing, you know, companies. I I think like, you know, if you start a streaming service, you start Porsche's streaming service here, right? You're going to be at the bottom of the list of who who Warner Music Group is licensing songs to, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because you're a startup, we've already got all this, you know, we've got, already got Spotify. We've already got Apple music. This is going to cost me a lot of money to do direct licenses with you. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll do it, you know, but I think you reduce competition among the services as well too. And I guess there's some conspiracy theorists who would say, maybe that was the point of this whole thing was to create that landscape. I hope your listeners understand this. GMR is a fourth PRO, and they've been struggling with some of the digital services to essentially get licensed. And they've had in the past, there's been talk of a lawsuit. And the most famous one is sort of GMR versus YouTube, which somebody put a price of a billion dollars on. I don't know who did that, right? So it's possible that some of these digital services looked at GMR out there and said, well, what if we did 100% licensing? We got licenses from the co-writers that would solve most of this problem here. Mm. I don't think anybody in the music business or the technology business, I don't think any company anywhere is really thinking any farther ahead than that. Well, David Lowry, thank you so much for joining us again on The Future of What. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate you doing the deep dive on this stuff on your show. It's really great. Somebody needs to do it. I appreciate helping you out when I can. That was Everybody Looks Good in a Helmet by Witchy Poo. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard The Advantage, Hella, Witchy Poo, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. Can I have a taste of your ice cream?